today on Ag News Daily. Based on these best management practices, we, we strongly believe that growers will be able to utilize this tool within their toolbox. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a happy Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, your host, joined by your other host, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing on this Friday? Mike, it's not Friday, it's Thursday. What? It's Thursday. Oh, gosh, you're right. It's Thursday. But today oh. is our Friday episode because tomorrow we're off. We are oh, respecting right. Good Friday. Closed. That's right. Markets are closed. Yeah. Ag News Daily is closed. That's that's what I meant was it's our <laughs> Friday. That's okay. what I was getting right. at. I'm not so lost that I didn't realize it was not Friday. Wow. It's only Thursday. Okay. It's only Thursday. But it's a good Thursday. It is. It is. Nice save. Nice catch. <laughs> well, Delaney, I tell you what, I, uh, I'm going to need you to kind of take the lead on today's episode, if I'm honest. Why is that, Mike? Because I just ate one of the most delicious pork tenderloins I have ever eaten. It came from the grocery store in Rhinebeck, Iowa. <laughs> Listeners, if you're ever cruising up around Waterloo, head southeast or southwest, about 12, 15 miles, and you'll come to Rhinebeck. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Get the pork tenderloin at the grocery store. I am so full, I can hardly think. Is it? It's already pre-cooked, then, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you it's didn't on a take it home and grill it or make it? No, no, no. They've got, they've got, like, a deli in the grocery oh, store. What's the Rhinebeck yeah. grocery store called? Well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that because I, I don't remember. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, there's probably only one grocery store. I think it's the only store. one in town. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. For sure. I'll have to check that out sometime. You should. It is oh, so good. And I feel I feel like I've done my part to support the pork industry as well. So well, it's good. a win-win. It is a win-win. We they like had, you eating pork. They had cheese curds. So oh, I supported their no. as well. Oh, no. That sounds delicious. Deep fried. Mm-hmm. They were amazing. And so, now you're sitting in a tractor uh, burning all those calories off, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. With the auto steer on, I am yeah. uh, reclining with my feet up and, uh, yeah, working hard. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, working hard is what I am doing. It's what people across the ag industry are doing today, Delaney. Mm-hmm. It's what people in the world of ag news are doing. What kind of news is jumping out at you today? Okay, so I'm going to kick it off here with, I think, maybe the biggest headline that I, I read for today. And that is in... Reference to a WTO ruling that ruled in favor of the U.S. So back in uh, 2016, I believe it was, or during the Obama administration, um, the U.S. put forth a complaint against China saying they're not living up to the pledges that they made nearly 20, 20 years ago in 2001 to buy billions of dollars in wheat, rice, and corn through tariff rate quotas. Well, the World Trade Organization sided with the U.S. today in that complaint, saying China did not live up to those promises that they made. And according to the USDA estimates, if China would have actually used those tariff rate quotas, it could have boosted grain sales by $3.5 billion in 2015 alone. So definitely saw it there, especially in the wheat industry. U.S. wheat farmers were hoping to see this really help boost some sales and increase exports to China because of the 9.64 million metric ton quota that China originally agreed to but did apparently not follow through in. 
I think it's going to be interesting to see how this piece of news fuels the fire or or maybe creates more tension in the ongoing U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations. Yes. So here's the thing about these WTO rulings. This is good news and it comes at the right time for the U.S. It's a little more ammo in our back pocket as we go this next round of negotiations. But China has 60 days to appeal this ruling and they haven't made a comment yet, but it is probably expected that they will appeal it because these tariff rate quotas, these TRQs that China uses, they're a big fan of them. They use them in a lot of different products, uh, most notably, of course, in agriculture. But basically what a TRQ is They set a quota. They say, we're going to import X number of bushels. And on those bushels, we're going to put a tariff of, say, 5%. Mm -hmm. I'm making up numbers. Say 5%. Any bushels over that quota, we're going to tariff at 50%. It's kind of a punitive tariff once it gets over a certain amount of imports. And that's what the World Trade Organization had a fight or had a fuss over. Uh, We had a fuss over and the World Trade Organization agreed with us. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if China does actually look to make any changes because like i say it it uses these trqs in lots of different industries and it's one thing that they they seem to take very seriously so i'm guessing we'll see an appeal which will probably drag this thing out another two years but at least it's something we can you know robert lighthizer and team there at the u.s trade reps office they can lean on this and say hey you know maybe we won't fight your appeal as bad if you follow through on some of these orders if you do so and so so essentially the TRQs should have meant that they import X number of products at a set tariff regardless of other factors. Right, right, basically. So, and then what like, the trade organization found is that they were using their, their state-owned buying entities oh. to circumvent some of the quotas and to make it so the U.S. didn't know where these export bushels sat. Were they going gotcha. to be taxed tariff at 50 or 5%? Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And those, those yep. aren't the numbers. Those are just the numbers I made right. up. I don't know what their tariffs are specifically. Right. Well, it sounds like also t- chatting about Chinese news, um, the U.S. Trade Representative Office knocked down a news report yesterday that I mentioned on the podcast uh, reported by Wall Street Journal that the next round of trade talks have been set in early May. They said we cannot confirm that um, about the Wall Street Journal story. And so, again, we don't know really where we're at. But the same official that was quoted in this article said that it would also be difficult but not impossible to have a final deal ready for signing by May 27th. Oh, wow. So, wow, that's really good news. It would be. He said it would be difficult, but not impossible. I don't know if that's like them hinting or, you know, I don't know how much we can really put in that. How much weight. Yeah, I guess I checked out the but not impossible. Yeah, right. Right. Well, until we get a deal in place with China, we are still relying on the U.S. consumer to step up demand and support the, uh, the ag industry. And in order to do that, of course, the consumer needs to have dollars. And we had a report out today, two reports out today, that bode well for the strength of the U.S. economy. The first was retail sales up their largest amount in one and a half years. They jumped by 1.6%. This is big news because last month, they declined two-tenths of a percent. So economists were expecting it to go up. 
They're expecting maybe a, a just shy of a percentage increase in retail sales. So to come in at 1.6% is really, really good news. That dovetailed nicely with another report out today that showed unemployment claims for unemployment have now dropped to their lowest level in 50 years. So more Americans are working and staying employed and they're going out and they're buying stuff, including burgers, including brats, <laughs> including, you know, everything else we want them to get Cheese out there and curds. buy. Cheese curds. Pork tenderloins. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is good news for the economy. Um, speaking on the economy and reports that dropped today, we saw the highly anticipated report drop today from the U.S. International Trade Commission, which is just part of the steps here in really solidifying and finalizing the NAFTA agreement or USMCA agreement. The report was, mm, I'm going to say, neutral-ish. Folks were expecting, essentially this report was to analyze the impact on consumers and the economy that the USMC agreement could or couldn't provide. And the International Trade Commission found that this agreement, once solidified and signed into law, would raise U.S. GDP by $68.2 billion, or 0.35%. So not a huge increase there. Other uh, studies related to this, or kind of in the midst of this report that came out today showed that really the biggest sector that will win under the USMCA agreement is the auto industry, which I think comes as no surprise. We should see here over the next couple of years about 76,000 jobs created because of direct impacts with the USMCA agreement and getting auto into Mexico and Canada. So in the end, maybe not a huge deal, really, that USMCA creates economically, but I think it's more about the stability, showing that we do have trade relationships in place with these two countries. Yes, and that study comes with a huge caveat, and that is they're comparing it to the status quo. Basically, it's 0.35% larger than what we have right now, and what mm -hmm. we have right now is NAFTA. If President Trump decides to ditch NAFTA, then the gains of USMCA become a lot bigger because we lose okay. all the all the current gains we have under NAFTA, particularly, of course, in the ag industry. So, yeah, it's neutral ish, but it, I think it underscores the importance, like you say, of having agreements in place, of having trade with our two neighbors to the north and the south. Yes. And of course, another trade negotiation that we're watching unfold is negotiations with the EU and the US. We're getting some mixed messages coming out of DC. The Yeah. So the one that I found today was Senator Chuck Grassley again. He said in some quotes to reporters that there's no way for the US and the EU to move forward with trade negotiations unless Brussels changes its stance and agrees to discuss agriculture as part of the talks. He said, I don't think you can go ahead unless there's an agreement of what you're going to debate. So the talks won't proceed, is what he has stated. When you look at what the EU is saying, their new ambassador to the U.S. said he's hopeful that official talks will begin soon, but they are not going to include agriculture issues. So we're seeing an impasse here, and I don't know who's going to win. Yeah, I don't either. You know, it's one of those things I think the president would really like to... Uh maybe score some wins for agriculture 
maybe he'll hold the line on this and, and will refuse to talk unless they discuss egg. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's just a guess. I have no idea. I have no idea either. Delaney, you and I have talked about this before. We have a tendency, especially when we're on the road, to eat at fast food places. <sighs> I know. I hate it. Yeah, it's good. It's good food for a good price at a good speed. You know, I've got no <laughs> yeah. objection. Okay. Um, have you eaten at McDonald's lately? No. Like in the past two years. Oh, well, yeah, for sure within the past two years. Okay. You know, McDonald's kind of got slower if you were going through the, the drive through line or in the pickup line. They Over the past couple of years, they've kind of slowed down. you got to mm, wait a little okay. bit longer to get food. Well, that was because they introduced these signature crafted burgers, kind of fancier burgers that were trying to compete with Shake Shack and some of the fancier stuff at Wendy's. Okay. Well, today... McDonald's announced they're doing away with those. They're hmm. done with the fancy stuff. They're going back to just Quarter Pounders and Big Macs because they say they can get those out the door a lot faster. I think this matters because it shows a change in the way these fast food giants are going. Burger King is going more high end. They've added that vegan impossible burger. There's trying for that market. And McDonald's is saying, hey, we're going to put high quality beef on a patty and we're going to ship it out to you as fast as we can. And Personally, I like the McDonald's route a little better. <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I saw a tweet out by our friend Darren Newsom earlier today and commented on it. He shared this post from Carl's Jr. that they're, quote, adding something special to their signature sauce. They are <laughs> launching a <laughs> they're launching a CBD pot infused hamburger in their oh, Denver seriously? location. Yeah. Really? So it's not it's not the CBD, the no THC stuff. This is the genuine I, real deal. They're making I, a stoner burger. I think so. Well, you do you, Carl's Jr. Yeah. You do you. Yeah. I think, you know, you might as well cause the munchies while you cure the munchies. I think that's it's, two birds with one stone. It's bizarre to me, but okay. And also the picture of the burger itself looks disgusting. Why? I don't know. How can know. a burger look disgusting? It's like... I think it's got maybe like French fries or something on it and cheese and it just looks, I don't know. I look at it and think it's that it looks gross. Food, Delaney. It's designed to give you everything you need in uh, one bite, I, I imagine. I guess. I personally just don't think it looks very appetizing. Okay. Well, that's good. We, you know, we can't have our CEO coming back all stoned from a work trip to Colorado. It won't be happening anytime soon. All right. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, the only other piece of news I have is... Uh, not maybe relevant to a lot of our listeners, but mm -hmm. to our friends down in tobacco country, Mitch McConnell, senator from Kentucky, is introducing legislation that would raise the minimum age for the purchase of tobacco from 18 oh. to 21. Interesting. Yes, I thought that was surprising. He's doing it because he's heard from a lot of parents who are concerned about e-cigarette use in high schools. And so he's saying, you know, this is probably the best way we have to curb that. And what I thought was interesting is that some of the big cigarette producers and e-cigarette producers, namely Altria Group, has got on board with it. And they mm. say, yeah, this is the best thing. We don't want kids using our product. You know, let's uh, let's raise the minimum age. So I don't know what that's going to do for tobacco demand longer term. I think people who want to smoke are going to smoke regardless of what yeah, the law says. Right. Lord knows I was smoking before I was 18. You know, I. <laughs> Not proud of it, but I was. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what this does, but I think it's one thing we need to keep an eye on. There are always changes coming to, you know, demand levels from uh, from Uncle Sam. Yep, absolutely. 
Well, Mike, the only news that I have left to share, and I think it's some good news, so I wanted to end on it, is we're seeing a new market open up for U.S. beef, poultry, and eggs. It's not going to be a huge market, but Tunisia has agreed to open its borders to import beef, poultry, and eggs. And this market is predicted by the USDA to be about a 5 to $10 million market, so not a huge one, but new access is an important step in continuing our trade with other countries. So I think it's a, a good one. You bet. Let's get them hooked on U.S. meat and they'll stay customers forever. That's right. Um, unless we decide we don't want to trade with them and then we cut them off and then we've got to, you know, go through a trade. <laughs> okay. Hopefully that won't happen. Yeah, hopefully not. All right. Well, Delaney, if that wraps up the news, let's jump into the markets where we've got some news. Yeah. Okay. Mixed, maybe. Mixed news. Yeah, yeah, mixed news. And listeners, whether the markets are up or down, opportunities are created every day in the futures markets. You want to be positioned to take advantage of those opportunities? So call our friends at Zaner Group. They can help manage your marketing risk. You can give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. And tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, it does look like we have arrested the slide in corn and soybean prices today. May corn contract was up a quarter penny at 358 and a half, with the July also up a quarter at 367 and a quarter. In soybeans, the May contract was up one and a half cents at 880 and a half, with November new crop up one and a quarter to finish at 913 and a half. Wheat, however, has continued the downward trend. The May contract was down two and three quarters at 444 and a quarter, with July down two cents finishing at 448 and a quarter. Jumping over into the livestock markets, we've got green pretty well down the screen today. In live cattle, the June contract was up 30 cents at 122.6750 and the August up 20 at 119.75. In feeder cattle, the May contract was up 92 and a half cents to close at 151.5250, the August up 22 and a half finishing at 160.6750. And in lean hogs, that front month May contract roared back today up $1.2750 to close at $90.20, the June up 62 and a half cents to finish at 96.75. And of course, into the dairy market, did my cheese curd consumption help? Well, it didn't hurt. Class 3 milk April contract was up a penny at 1593 and the May was unchanged on the day to close at 1569. For our interview today we're going to learn more about a new technology that is coming onto our fields this year from Syngenta. So with that, let's take it away. Well, as folks are itching to get in the field, we're going to be talking about a new technology today offered by Syngenta. We've got on the line with us Bobby Bachman, who is the soybean and cotton herbicide product specialist for Syngenta. Bobby, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Bobby, so the reason we got you on the line today is Syngenta is releasing this new product, the newest herbicide, which is Tavium Plus Vapor Grip Technology. It's a herbicide that has been officially approved by the EPA, so that's exciting news there, but it's the first premix residual dicamba herbicide. Can you tell us what that is? What is a premix residual dicamba herbicide? Yeah, we were extremely excited to uh, get get official registration of uh, of Tavium Plus Grape, Vapor Grip technology. Uh, we received registration officially on uh, April 5th. Um, here in 2019, and Tavium uh, is an exciting new product that we're able to add to our portfolio. It's a combination of Dicamba, a group four, um, and Espitolicor, a group 15. 
um, offering growers both con- offering growers both the control of uh, weeds you see and the ones you don't. Um, dicamba is uh, is key for control for controlling uh, weeds based on contact, and Esmetolicor um, delivers a great uh, fit for residual control. And so Tavium is going to offer up about roughly three weeks additional residual control versus solo dicamba which is absolutely key as we hit it head into the season. Absolutely. This time of year, growers love to have something that can be done ahead of time. And uh, Bobby, last year, the past couple of growing seasons, we've seen dicamba kind of kind of get a black eye, really, as growers were perhaps misusing it, not using it according to label specifications. Talk to us a little bit about how Vapor Grip addresses some of those. Yeah, and so Tavium, Tavium is a low-volatile dicamba formulation, um, we know based on if, if by the biggest thing with respects to keeping uh, products where they are supposed to be is uh, having having a proper sp- uh, sprayer set up. And so uh, with with dicamba, no different than any other herbicides, it's important that uh, we do not not exceed ground speeds of uh, greater than 15 miles per hour. Um, we're managing boom height, uh, making sure that we uh, are no higher than 24 inches above the, the target target canopy um, and we are using prop, proper volume rates of uh, 15 gallons per acre um, based on these best management practices we we strongly believe that growers will be able to utilize this tool within their toolbox to manage manage the uh, key ALS PPO and glyphosate resistant weeds that they are dealing with on their farm so Bobby how does this so it's the first premix residual how does that differ from some of the other dicamba products that are out there. Yeah, and so similar to other products, Tavium is going to deliver a half a pound of uh, dicamba, um, but in this in Tavium, it's going to deliver a, a pint of uh, of esmetolichlor. Um, and the key key thing that that's going to deliver is an additional three weeks uh, control of um, of residual versus dicamba alone. Um, this is going to be absolutely key for for uh, for managing t- tough to control weeds such as water hemp and Palmer amaranth, um, as well as many many grass grass weeds that uh, growers are trying to manage. Um, as we go forward with bringing this this brand brand to the market, we strongly recommend an integrated approach to their weed management, and that includes starting off the season strong by using a, a good pre-emergent herbicide. Um, Syngenta has a good lineup there with Boundary, Broadax, and Prefix. Um, and then we would recommend 21 to 28 days after, after planting that growers come in with an application of Tavium, um, controlling the weeds you see and the ones you don't. Um, we know that a residual herbicide is absolutely key to be used uh, in, their, in their post-emergent uh, program as uh, dicamba is now restricted to 40 being used used 45 days after planting in soybeans and needs to be used within the first 60 days um, in cotton. And so that residual component is uh, absolutely uh, provides significant benefit for growers and is a key tool for them to defend against tough to tough to control weeds, allowing that crop to get off off to the off to a good start fill in the canopy so that the the soybean crop is able to take up the water and nutrients um, versus the weeds. Absolutely. And Bobby, when you think about this in the context of a grower's operation, do you advise 
making applications, perhaps a repeat application right at that 45 day window, um, or, or if we treat it 26 to 28 after planting, or are we good to go and just follow the rest of the weed management plan? Yeah, we recommend getting off to off to a good start. And so that includes a burn down um, and u- utilizing products, uh, a good pre-emergent product um, that's going to deliver residual. Um, we, we know that by utilizing multiple effective sites of action and overlapping residuals, um, you give yourself the best chance of uh, having to give one shot uh, post. We, we feel that if growers get a good burn down and uh, are able to apply Tavium 21, 28 days after application, it's their best chance um, to not have to come back with a second application in crop, which in, in the current environment and uh, economic pressures that, the, uh, that farmers are dealing with based on low commodity prices, um, it's absolutely key and critical that we get... Uh, good early season weed management control and allow that crop to get established so that we don't have to come in with multiple second applications. Yeah, absolutely. Getting thing right, getting things right the first time for growers. Um, Bobby, you've alluded to this a little bit, but I just want to ask for maybe some points of clarity here because last year, as uh, Mike asked there or kind of talked about, volatility was a huge issue for dicamba. We saw a lot of dicamba drift happen in acres across the Midwest, especially. Does this new technology help reduce some of that volatility for dicamba? As as mentioned, Tavium is a, a low volatile dicamba formulation um, and, and it uh, is putting its best foot forward in that space. We, we know that we, with respect to uh, spraying dicamba, that it's absolutely key and critical that uh, we, we be neighborly. Um, with, with dicamba, it can, is impactful to uh, some sensitive crops, and we need to be smart. Um, spraying under right conditions and utilizing pr- uh, recommended rates, as well as uh, having proper sprayer set up, is, a good, is going to allow us to make sure that that, prop, that product is being applied and is is hitting the uh, targeted targeted uh, place. Um, it's it's absolutely key and critical that we are are aware and uh, are cautious with respect to sensitive crops, so that we are able to prolong this technology into the future. But we know that when we are when we're neighborly and we use you're using common sense, have are are uh, cognizant of the weather conditions and uh, and wind directions. Um, that we are able to be very successful um, with applying this technology and keeping it where it's supposed to be. When we start, when we start uh, navigating outside of those parameters and, and uh, going off label, then there is definitely risks. But um, I think the biggest, uh, biggest uh, piece that we can take forward here is by using common sense and make, taking the proper precautions, using the proper proper buffers where necessary is going to allow this technology to be successful and be a solid uh, resistance management tool as we head into the into the future. Bobby, let's talk a little bit about availability. Uh, you were just able to receive EPA approval. Will Tavium be available to growers across the uh, the Corn Belt this year? We are we are very fortunate here um, with Syngenta Syngenta in North America as we uh, are able to uh, work between Canada and the U.S. Early on in the season, um, Canada received registration of Tavium. Um, it, it will be a pre-emergent herbicide in in Canada, 
Um, that allowed us some freedom and flexibility to uh, take, take some uh, proactive measures to increase our uh, production here as production is done in the U.S., right, scheduled in the Midwest. Um, and we have been able to, uh, since we've got registration, max our capacity to be able to deliver um, on a significant supply that will be available for growers. We have, we have seen orders coming in as we have already gotten uh, 24 state reg registrations across, across the U.S., which has been uh, significant in a short period of time. Uh, and we, we anticipate to be able to deliver a significant volume uh, to the market. Um, we have we have packaged goods, 250s, and bulk bulk tavium uh, ready to be delivered as orders are coming in. Bobby, before we let you go, if growers listening would like to take advantage of this technology or see if their state is registered to have this technology available to them, where can they go to find out more information? Yeah, and so the the best place is for them to uh, to learn more about Tavium. They can visit their local retailer or some, get in contact with their uh, local Syngenta rep representative. Our website is also live at uh, www.syngentaus.com/tavium. Um, at that website, we have our product page, we have our stewardship documents. Um, there you will also find our tank mixes that are available with Tavium, as well as we have our uh, our training oxen training module for growers, retailers, and channel partners um, that they can take to be registered to use uh, to use Tavium and other oxen technologies. Awesome, Bobby! Thank you so much for sharing about this new product. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Well, there we go, Delaney. Perhaps a new product. Perhaps uh, it looks like dicamba might just be here to stay. I think so. I think the industry is reacting to all the issues with dicamba that we've had over the past couple of years, and they're creating new products to hopefully ensure that we can continue using it into the future. Yeah, and folks, Bobby said it exactly right. You know, Delaney and I go to sit at a lot of different meetings where we hear from government officials, and they're really watching us. we got to mm -hmm. be very careful with how we apply it and what technologies we're using when we apply dicamba. It's a valuable tool in the toolbox. Let's uh, do what we can do to keep it. Absolutely. Let's do that, folks. We want to wish all of you a uh, happy Easter. Again, a reminder, we will not be having a podcast tomorrow. So enjoy the day off. If you've got the day off, enjoy Good Friday. Enjoy your Easter celebrations. But Or Passover, which or is Passover, also happening. That's right. But if you're missing us over the weekend and you want to interact with us, Mike, where can they go to do that? They should go right now in their web browser to www.agnewsdaily.com. It will take you directly to our new home in the Global Ag Network. You can connect with us, get caught up on past episodes. You can connect with all of the other podcasts in the Global Ag Network family. A lot of really, really cool stuff, good stuff. Keep you entertained, especially while you're in the cab this spring. Mm -hmm. And as always, interact with us on social media. Find us at Ag News Daily on Twitter or on Facebook. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.